my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Every family has an origin story, one passed down through the generations. Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great-great-grandmother left behind in Sicily. I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a whodunit for the ages. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, from Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica, a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. We've always been intrigued by stories of disappearances, whether it's a fraudster from the 17th century who kept evading the authorities or a novelist who taunted the Nazis and faked her own death. We all want to know, what happened next? To find out, listen to Womanica on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hi, I'm Sam Edis. And I'm Amy Nelson. Welcome to What's Her Story with Sam and Amy. This is a show about the world's most remarkable women, their professional and personal journeys. Together, we'll hear from gold medalists, best-selling authors, and leaders of the world's most iconic brands. On today's episode, we're talking with Elizabeth Rome. She's an actress best known for her roles in Law and & Order and American Hustle. She is also a director and an author. Before we get started, how do you know Elizabeth? Elizabeth and I actually met when I interviewed her for a story, and then we just clicked, and we had lunch a bunch of times. We did an event together. Always a lot to learn from Elizabeth. Well, let's jump in. I want to start at the beginning. I was reading your book this weekend, which is amazing. The chapter Mother really got to me. Your parents divorced when you were around eight or nine, and you've described your mother as a hippie chick. And, and she really raised you. What are the traits that you learned from her? It's really funny you ask because today, uh, this month is um, heart month, heart awareness month. And my mom died of a massive heart attack. You know, she was just somebody who believed that we weren't here to rent. We were here to buy. We were here to own into this experience for as long as we're here. And there's a sense of responsibility to each other. And if you miss that, 
then you're really missing what it is to be a human being. And you're, I don't know, she just, she lived very big. Um, and she was intellectual. She was very smart. She was philosophical. She was seeking, she had faith. She was, she was willing to doubt and then have faith again. And, and I don't mean this from a spiritual religious point of view. I mean it from like somebody who is living the question, like Rainer Maria Rilke said, you know, we're living the question. If you're, if you're white knuckling it through life, you're not willing to live the question to be like immersed in the unknown to discover what you're, how you evolve and how you grow and change. And she was a lover, you know, she was a lover. She was affectionate. I think I've gotten all that's good in me from my mom and the things that were hard in childhood, I think were essential to giving me a resilience that I think is required for being successful. What was hard in your childhood? I just feel that I, in many regards, I, both my parents, I think were narcissists. You know, I was sort of an afterthought. They were on their own personal journey to such a degree that their parenting skills, I think were limited. I went to boarding school at 14 and I think it was because I was just too much to handle. So I felt like an afterthought a lot of the time. And I also felt that when I did have a relationship with my parents, it was the level of communication we're doing right now, but at a very young age. So there weren't very good boundaries, meaning that I don't think I was really treated like a child. You know, I think I was treated like a peer and that's okay. I've probably done it to my child too, to a certain extent, because I don't see boundaries between any of us, black, white, male, female, rich, you know, rich, poor. I want to cross, I want to be a boundary crosser, border crosser. But I think that um, it wasn't like I was handled very tenderly. And that's made me very tough, I think. And that's probably been something I've had to work on in my life to be more gentle because there was a lack of that. Um, but I guess, you know, life is tough, you know, so some of that feeling of being an afterthought to a certain extent, um, I think has made me very resilient, very personally strong. I know how to find my center very quickly. What do you do to find your center when you've lost it? I don't know. I think that's such a personal thing, right? I mean, you know, you could take a walk, you could talk to a friend, you could meditate, you could listen to music, you could, you know, it's, it's what, what's, what, what makes you, what makes you sparkle, you know, like, where is that, you know, yummy chocolate center inside of yourself and like, go there, you know? And I also think um, not just finding your center, but finding your love of life, you know, your enthusiasm for life, your joy for it, you know, that's sort of part of the center. Um, and at least it is for me. I love this Maya Angelou quote, you know, um, people will forget where they met you. People were, will forget ultimately what, you know, your interaction was, but they will never forget how you made them feel about themselves. So it's really our responsibility to feel good about ourselves. So that's why I talk about enthusiasm and joy um, as a center. Um, because that's what you're bringing to the party, you know, like how you make people feel if you're feeling not well, you're going to bring that negativity into the environment and you're going to leave that uh, mess, you know, and you leave it in your home or your business or, you know, whatever. So I think going back to center is also a responsibility. We want to talk about your acting career, but before we do, I also just, there's such a parallel between your relationship now parenting Easton as a single mom and you and the intense relationship you had with your mom, how are you a different kind of mom? And when your mom passed away, what was your relationship like at that point? 
My mom was not a businesswoman. She was a non-working mom. And I felt very sorry for her a lot. She was constantly in a victim place with my dad, waiting for checks that didn't come crying. And that burden as a kid, I just remember feeling like I will never, never be in a position where I am relying on somebody to take care of me. And that's going to be some weird power struggle. And my stepmother, who is, you know, brilliant, successful, you know, she maintained her power in the relationship and the adoration and the love and the sexuality. And like, she was a force and I saw the difference. Um, and so, you know, I didn't have a superhero as a mom. I did as a stepmom, even though we've had our issues. Um, but I'm glad, you know, being able to have an amalgam of both you know, and discovering that I want to be the woman, much like Sam and I've discussed in the past, I want to be the woman who, you know, is in the suit going out there and, you know, slaying dragons and then coming home and making lasagna because I want to be able to do it all. I don't want to be pigeonholed or put into a category. Um, so my mother and I were extremely close my whole life, basically. I mean, she was truly my best friend and and I told her everything, unfortunately for her. She she probably got too much information. We were friends. We had a very friendship-oriented relationship. How is that similar to Easton and I? I think I have burdened her with that friendship. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're a single mom and they're your world. And I didn't feel like, the, you know, my parents made me their world. So I probably have done some, you know, I don't know hovering parenting or perhaps like guilt parenting. Now that Easton's turning 13 and we're having for the first time in our life difficulty and, and um, we're separated more. Um, I'm trying to recalibrate to who she is now. I liked it so much better when she was little and I could dress her up and be like, you know, and hug her and she'd like rub my face and we'd just be in love with each other. But yeah. I would say it's been a beautiful um, relationship and perhaps as they get older, maybe ironically less of a friendship and more stepping back and letting her be mm. who she is. Cause by the way, she may not, she may not have chosen me as a friend if she'd met me mm. at a party because I have a bigger, I have a big personality. The reason it's so hard for us as parents to see our kids doing that is like their job is to separate and detach from us and figure out who they are. And they can't figure out who they are if they're embedded in us. And so, but, but that's the most challenging thing about parenting is that if you're doing a good job, your children will fly far away. And, and that's really difficult. Yeah. It's really painful. It's, it's, <laughs> it's hard if you only had one, you know, you're like, I'm like, I'm like thinking to myself, because as you know, I had fertility issues. I'm like, God, there's got to be one egg left in there. <laughs> so so let's talk about your acting career. You have had this really robust, incredible career. Now you're moving from acting to directing. Do you think of yourself as famous? I don't even know. You know, I guess not when, you know, you're sort of stopped in an airport frequently, you know, when, you're, when we used to travel and they'd be like, I know I know you from somewhere. <laughs> it sounds very familiar. You know, I mean, sometimes it'll be like Elizabeth Rome, um, but a lot of the time it's like some bizarre sort of experience. So I don't really spend much time thinking about that. I live very um, openly. I'm in Venice Beach. You know, I'm not in the Hollywood Hills. I'm very much in, you know, the flats of Venice. And um, so I don't know. I don't feel conscious of that. And I guess if anybody is conscious of that, 
then it's just really nice to be complimented. So your first uh, TV series were Angel and then Law and Order. How did how did you get those jobs? I assume you didn't like apply on the internet. So how how did that that come about? I was on a soap opera first. That's how I got an agent. Then I went to LA to pursue pilot season, and I met Dick Wolf. I booked a pilot, and that began the relationship there. The pilot didn't get picked up, and then I auditioned for Angel. You know, then I kind of got a chance to audition for Law and Order. Angie Harmon won. And then three years later, when Angie Harmon got married to Jason Seahorn, I auditioned again and won. So there's lots of, you know, twists and turns. But I guess at the end of the day, I would say this, and it's something I've learned a lot from people I admire, uh, like Sam or like other people that I've worked with or know for decades. It's about relationships and maintaining long-term relationships. I'm right now developing a TV series for me to star in, but I want to produce and direct it. And I'm bringing together two people who I've known for over 20 years, each of them, you know? So I guess getting Law and Order and Angel sort of grew out of, you know, the first auditions and then those relationships continued. And um, and then I got lucky and landed basically back in my hometown, having gotten, you know, put on the Yankees, basically. You know, I came to LA to be an actress and then suddenly got Law and Order and to New Yorkers, Law and Order is like epic. And now for a quick break. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. 
because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I, I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, if, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together. We'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. How did you get that first soap opera job? I had a very good friend who, Peter, who had a girlfriend who was a soap star. And I've always been pretty aggressive about making things happen for myself. Um, you know, much to I'm sure my agent and manager's chagrin. Um, their inbox probably at seven in the morning is very, very full of my my emails. Um, but I said to him, well, how can you help me? He's like, how can I help you? Okay, I don't know. So he yeah, talked to his girlfriend and she said she would introduce me to his man- her manager. And so I met him and I said, how can you help me? And he said to me, well, I can get you, a, you know, one audition and see how it goes. Well, that one audition with Claire Labine, who was the head writer for One Life to Live, turned into a three-year contract. And I was only on the soap for six months because they ended up firing me, which was a blessing in disguise, according to Judith Light. She said, everybody who gets fired from the soap opera becomes a movie star. I didn't become <laughs> a movie star, but at least, you know, I ended up not being on daytime. It seems so intense to work on a daily soap opera like that. Well, I will say this. I do miss working on a daily basis. And that's why, I mean, I work Mm -hmm. and develop and produce and write and so forth. um, But I do miss working in a family dynamic. So I am developing um, this show to be in as well as I've just sold some movies this week, actually, um, for me. Yay. With an actress that I love. And and so we'll, it's two, it's two movies back to back. So I think I am beginning to hanker for consistency. I loved being on Law and Order and I love being on a show because, you know, you have a family. It's like a little cinema family. Yeah. One thing I've been thinking about a lot, probably because of the documentary um, Framing Britney, is kind of the misogyny and celebrity culture of the early aughts. Did you experience any of that? I don't think I did, you know, maybe because I had a little bit of a, I don't know what the word is, but I didn't come into the industry looking for male approval or anybody's approval. I think I was very haughty 
you know, I was, I saw myself as well-educated. I came from a good family. Like I didn't, I don't know. I didn't come in with a lot of broken pieces, you know? And I also, for some bizarre reason, said to myself, if I'm not famous within two years, I'm not going to pursue acting. Cause I mean, I wanted to make money. And like, so, you know, I had an agenda, even though I loved the arts. So I don't think that I walked into any environment professionally sexualizing myself in any way or being open in any way for that. And so I don't know. I mean, maybe I just dodged a bullet or maybe it's how I carried myself or I mean, I've worked for some pretty significant, powerful men and, you know, they I don't feel in any way, shape or form was I disrespected. I do think, I mean, not not to victim blame, but I do think that anyone who meets you and knows you knows not to screw with you. Like, no, no, I mean, you know, you, you give off that vibe of like, I don't can fuck tell. with me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> not that different from when I was like 22. Like, I mean, if you talk, if you talk to friends I grew up with, they're like, she's exactly the same. I mean, so yeah, I probably at that time even more had a chip on my shoulder. I'm probably nicer now. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about your newest thing, which is directing. And your one of your new projects is Sandy Hook. So tell us about that. So I'm, my next film I'm going to direct is based on Scarlett Lewis's memoir. Scarlett was a mom and had a child who was murdered in Sandy Hook at the Sandy Hook Massacre, Jesse. She's created a movement called the Choose Love Movement, and it's all about implementing programs in schools that deal with mental health and, you know, making sure there's no stone unturned when it comes to our children, because she chose to have compassion, nurturing, healing and love for even the shooter. And so she's just an incredible force. This is a positive movie. It's not a movie about somebody going in and shooting little kids. This is a movie about a woman who emerges like a phoenix out of her ashes and rises to the occasion. So it's a story of hope. Um, it's a story of empowerment. It's a story of love. And it's, it's, it's a testament to the love that Scarlett had for her son. So that's what it's about. I'm doing it with Lifetime. I plan to star in it and direct it. How does it go from an idea to actually selling it? So I brought the book to Lifetime and they liked the book and they liked the story and then they liked the version that I pitched to them for the screenplay that has yet to be written. So now that they have decided that they'll make this movie with me, we'll hire a screenwriter. We've chosen the screenwriter. We're all on the same page about what script we want to have written. Now we'll go into the development phase and hopefully we'll move quickly through that. But at the end of the day, it takes time sometimes to be in development. And so that's sort of how the process goes, especially if you have a book or an article as opposed to somebody writing a screenplay and you decide to do that. So we're just in the development stage. How involved is Scarlett? Oh, she's involved. She's she's become a friend. And for me, I feel that her her voice and her light is the you know driving force for me. It was brought to me to play her. And I said, no, I want to direct this. And then I got to know her. And then I said, I want to play her. So now I'm going to do both. <laughs> I'm totally shifting gears here, Elizabeth. You've had a, a, a colorful love life throughout the years. And maybe you can sort of share. I feel like you also are someone who's so passionate. And that's probably why you've invited so many deep relationships into your life. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I don't know that I've had so many. I mean, I, I had a significant long-term relationship with Dan Abrams 
And then when I came to LA, I had a long-term, you know, marriage with Easton's dad for 10 years. You know, I've been single now for seven and I've been in this one significant relationship and we got engaged. We broke up in March. So, you know, I'd say not so many relationships, but yes, in comparison to somebody who gets married in their thirties and stays the whole time. But, you know, for me, as far as I'm concerned, you know, I don't feel that I need to be in a conventional marriage in order to have companionship. And, and I don't have an expectation of somebody to be perfect, but I just don't, I don't know. I've just never been moved to a hundred percent moved to make that like forever commitment. I read an article by Jane Fonda yesterday, the other day, and she was talking about smoking her vape and loving being single at 80. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I'm like, I could see that, I could see this, you know, she's got short hair right now. It's very like, you know, cool. I don't know. No, I want to be in a loving relationship. I'd love to have more children. I, I think um, not being with Easton's dad has been very, very hard. And I would say this to any single mom out there. It is extremely hard to balance working, parenting, and then trying to meet somebody and building a relationship and your child doesn't like them at all. Why would they? And then trying to give yourself permission to have a life. It's not easy to navigate. You have to give yourself the permission to, to be a woman, you know, and, and it's hard to do. Do you date now? I am dating somebody significantly now. And ironically, I do think that during COVID people took a pause to a degree that they were able to see what's right in front of them, you know, as opposed to being on the treadmill of life. And I would say that that's true of Peter and I, we've been really good friends for four years. And, and, you know, I think that he admittedly would say that he had a flame for me um, but you know, we were good friends and I don't know, you just, it didn't seem necessary. There's other people to, to date. You don't need to go dating your friends and mess up friendships. So, um, but during COVID there was time to spend quality time. The bubble was small, you know, and, and we really got to spend quality time together and discovered that we were really in love with each other. So we've taken a, a beautiful turn. And ironically, I think because it's been a friendship first, you know, it's just moved a lot faster than it would if you were meeting a stranger. We're like at year two, you know, in a sense, in the level of intimacy and trust between us. Let's go back for a second. How did you meet your most recent fiance? And, and, and honestly, I decided I'd given up on dating. I didn't even really feel sexual. Like I just felt really focused on Easton and work. And it just was a weird, you know, kind of two year experience. And my parents were like, that's crazy. Like you're so young still like, no. And so they wanted to set me up with a friend of theirs. You know, I'm like, no, I'm thinking to myself, how could they possibly like find me my soulmate? It's just not likely. Anyway, I got to know Jonathan. He um, was friends with them, also their neighbor. Um, so he was through family and ironically, Peter's also through extended family. His best friend, his best friend of 30 years is my best friend. Wow, so his wow. closest girlfriend is my best girlfriend. Right. You wrote in your book about how it was really hard for you when you were a child and your father got remarried very quickly and started a, another family. Has that impacted how you've navigated this with Easton? Oh, absolutely. <clears throat> I mean, I've said to her all along the way, it has to be right for us. You know, I'm not, it's not, it's not just me marrying Jonathan, it's us marrying Jonathan, you know, and it has to, he has to, you know, it has to be right for us. Um, so 
I guess I want, I've included her in the story, mm-hmm. you know, the narrative. And, and that's not what was done for me. I was told what was going to happen and I was invited to the wedding. So, mm-hmm. you know, I've handled it very much more like, okay, kid, it's you and me against the world. And like, you know, we're going to make our decisions together, you know? I mean, one of the things I adore about you is that you have always been like, this is who I am. Take it or leave it. I'm not going to fit into someone's mold of me. How do you, but you, you've also been sort of outspoken about that, about kind of a movement for people to embrace who they are. How do you put that into the world? Well, I don't think we do anybody any favors by pretending and bringing our legend of ourselves out into the room as versus the person we actually are. So I'm I'm not an advocate. I think there's a lot of mental health suffering with that legend. And, and I think perhaps maybe because I feel like telling the truth. And my mother said this to me as a child. She said, always tell the truth. But for God's sakes, don't lie to yourself. So for me, I've taken a tremendous sense of, you know, I put a lot of stock into that. Um, And so I don't lie to myself, even if I don't like what I'm saying, (laughs) what I'm recognizing about what I did, my part in it, or, or even how I feel about life or people, or, you know, I will really be willing to analyze that. And, And so because of that, I think maybe the way that I've written books or the way that I do my, my lunch with Liz or the fact that I have, this um, nonprofit called the respect project. I lead honest conversations with panelists based on topics of the time. So I'm willing to have the conversation. I'll raise my hand first and tell the truth. And I invite people into a conversation with me and ask them to do the same, but not just for themselves, but on behalf of other people. Because if I share with you my humanity, I give you permission for your own humanity and ultimately, we suffer so much in our own minds. That's that's where the work needs to be done, right? You know, do we hear the the two versions of our thoughts, the thoughts that become words and the thoughts that we think that we don't say? Because those words are powerful too. And now for a quick break. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in LA. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast, I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. 
because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I, I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, if, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We all tend to walk around thinking we have this very unique set of problems that nobody else could understand. And at the end of the day, we all have challenges and, and, and obstacles and problems. And I think that the more we share, the more comfort there is in that and the more you can access. And, and maybe being an actor also, you know, I, I use my pain and my experiences and whatever to play characters. That's my roadmap. So navigating my instrument, you know, is part of something natural that, that you do as an artist. But as a person, I've taken that skill and I've made it, you know, like you said, not a movement, but at least the Respect Project is committed to having and hosting, cultivating and, and, um, and you know, leading conversations in a very honest, transparent way. Nobody would sit on the panel if they didn't want to participate in that type of dialogue. And so the idea is to create conversations that create, you know, that that create solutions on behalf of all of us. And we're all different, you know, so listening, 
listening to our, di- our diverse narratives. You've talked a lot about, you know, your career, your intuition, the various things you've done, which are many. Are you where you want to be in your career, where you thought you would be when you were 25? Yeah, I think I am. I mean, I have a lot that I want to do and, you know, um, but I feel like I finally gave myself permission to direct, which I didn't feel that I had a place in that world because it's so male and so white male. And being an actress for 25 years, you know, I didn't, I didn't think I, I gave myself permission finally to, to, to take it. And um, so, yeah, I'm glad at 47 years old that I finally have really stepped into my own personal um, power and, you know, not let the little things inside my mind stand in my way, which is like, well, maybe not me. I can't do that. You know, I'm trying to write my next book. Well, of course, why not me? You know what I mean? And why not me to direct? And why not me to direct and star in something? It doesn't come from ego. It comes from giving yourself permission. It's like that Nelson Mandela speech, you know, the one I'm talking about. It's very famous. And it's all about, you know, who, you know, it's about stepping into your personal power. That's really what God, source, energy, whatever, you know, that's, that's our highest version of ourselves. I'm so excited about the idea of you directing because when you think about women getting into directing, it is just, there's so few to point to. And it would be incredible if you built this giant directing career. And I bet you will. Thanks, Sam. From your lips to God's ears. Well, how did you get the first chance to direct? What was that step like? Well, again, I, again, I, I'm really all about women. And um, Tanya Lopez, who runs Lifetime's movies, gave me a movie and advocated for me. And we all need champions. We all need our voice to be given a platform. And the broader focus program that she has built has given a lot of actresses their first directing job from Demi Moore to Angela Bassett to Kira Sedgwick. I've heard a lot of studios say, yeah, we're, we're all about inclusion and we're all about, and it's like, really? But they actually have a program that they fulfill. (laughs) Tanya Lopez is like my my mentor, my champion. And so that's how that happened. Speaking about career from a different angle, you talked earlier about money and wanting to make sure that you always had your own money. How do you take care of your money? How do you manage it? Oh, I'm not very good at that. I like like to spend money too. That's the problem. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I've never been really good at math either. So, you know, I tend to try to get help from others. Well, we're going to go to our lightning round now where we are going to ask you a series of quick questions and you can give us quick answers. Dream trip for you and Easton. Oh, I would just love to go to Europe with her. And I actually been dying to go to Greece. When you think about what's missing in your life right now, what is it? Well, I would say balance. You know, right now I feel very saturated and overwhelmed by everything we've been through. You know, I feel it's just toxic and I just want balance again. What is your nighttime routine? You know, I'm early to bed, early to rise. I go to bed around, you know, anywhere between like 9, 30, 10, 30. Like I'm not, and I wake up around six. Okay. Lou's been listening to this whole interview and then he comes in with our male perspective and the final question. Prior to, to this podcast, I was in the entertainment industry and prior, prior to, to everything, everything was going well. 
last time I was on set, I had to do two COVID tests. Everyone had to stay six feet apart. Everyone had a mask on, you know. Um, so it's a it was a totally different environment. Um, we couldn't even really talk to each other. So how are you gonna you you are navigating this new way of life in the entertainment industry? Well, I did my directorial debut in in September and October. So I also had to do I had a COVID set, COVID regulated set, meaning we were six feet apart from each other. We were tested three times a week. I wore a face mask and a shield. By the way, my movie comes out February 27th, 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on Lifetime. It's called Girl in the Basement. Please go watch it. It is about abuse, rape, incest, imprisonment. It is awful, but it is important. And it is a call to action for anybody you know or anybody that is suffering from this. At the end of the movie, there is going to be information about RAIN, which is rape, abuse, incest. On the national level, it's the biggest anti-sex violence organization we have in the country, as well as there'll be a documentary after my movie about two people who are survivors of incest and imprisonment. So I just have to say that, but I will say that um, doing a movie during COVID, looking forward to doing my next movie, which will be in this sort of post-apocalyptic world, I'm just grateful to have a job because a lot of people right now are unemployed. They are scared to death. They are running out of money. It is a crisis. It has been a crisis. And I really was very grateful to have a job. And the next time I have a job, I'm going to be really grateful to have a job because it has been a really tricky time for people. I have a question based on what Lou just asked, which is when you went home from filming this, which is obviously such a, a, a gutting topic, how do you switch it off and not let it just infuse you with sadness and trauma? I was exhausted, but I, but, and I talked to Easton about the movie and she was, you know, she was aware and, you know, but it's, she's, we, this, I'm a storyteller, you know, and I'm sure the actors were exhausted. I was exhausted, but no, I wasn't haunted. I mean, you know, I was, I understood what I was doing. I think about it a lot more now that I've made the movie than I ever did before. Those topics, you know, that's haunting. No, I don't, and I don't carry it with, with me often, the work. You know, you go in, you leave it there, and you work hard, and you go home. My first job out of college was working in entertainment, so I worked in Hollywood for three years. And it there are so few female directors, and it impacts everything. It impacts the entire industry, from casting to screenwriting to producing to what we see on the screen. And the fact that she'll be out there as another one and she's so smart and so driven and so strong really inspires me. I thought it was really interesting to hear Elizabeth talking about directing in the sense that she didn't think it was for her because it's such a male dominated, such a white male dominated industry. And that really spoke to me because Sam, you and I have both raised venture capital to start our companies and we are operating in a world where like 2% of venture capital dollars go to women and almost all of them to white women. Like black women get 0.0001% of VC funding, which is zero. And yet we've both done it, right? And yet Elizabeth has taken this big jump into directing. And I think the more we hear those stories, we talk about this a lot, the more we hear those stories, the more women are willing to make these outrageous bets and go for it. Thanks for listening to What's Her Story with Sam and Amy. 
We would so appreciate if you would leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, connect with us on social media at What's Her Story Podcast. What's Her Story with Sam and Amy is powered by my company, The Riveter, at theriveter.co and Sam's company, Park Place Payments, at parkplacepayments.com. Thanks to our producer and editor, Laurel Moglin, our podcast associate, Phoebe Cranefuss, and our male perspective, Lou Burns. Okay, so you mentioned that your plan when you started your career in acting is that if you weren't famous in two years, you were out. What was your other career option? I was going to try to get a job at the New York Times and be a journalist. Okay. Thank I God w- I didn't do that since newspapers and publishing companies are like a thing of the past. <laughs> Every family has an origin story, one passed down through the generations. Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great-great-grandmother left behind in Sicily. I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a whodunit for the ages. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hello, from Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica, a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives women history has forgotten. We've always been intrigued by stories of disappearances, whether it's a fraudster from the 17th century who kept evading the authorities or a novelist who taunted the Nazis and faked her own death. We all want to know what happened next. To find out, listen to Womanica on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Pitbull. I think that education is the real revolution, because as much as we speak about all the problems that there is in society and the world today, my mother's always told me, son, don't worry, the world's always been coming to an end. Don't let it scare you out of living. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.